Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. I have a rare opportunity tonight that I've never had before. And uh, I want to take advantage of it. I believe that the exact people that God wanted to be here tonight are here. And I want you to listen to me very carefully. The second week in September, I'm going to be back in revival. I can't remember ever having the opportunity to stand before a church I'm going to preach a revival in a couple of months in advance where I can address a real need. The greatest evangelist, harvester, I ever had in my churches when I was a pastor was a man by the name of Harold Hunter. Harold's a mean, hard preacher. And I mean, he's rough. But I saw more people get saved under his ministry than any man I ever had in my pulpit. And he's a great harvester. And I asked him one day, I said, Harold, what do you attribute your gift of harvest to? He said, Sid, when I was a younger preacher... I was a pastor of a big church running 3,500 down in Jacksonville, Florida. And he said, I had Hyman Appleman. I didn't know Hyman, never heard him preach, but several of my friends had used him. He's just an old man, evangelist. And I felt led to ask him to come, and he came. And I went and picked him up on Sunday morning at his motel, and I brought him, and he preached. And I sat on the front row, and I thought while he preached, that was the deadest, most boring, dusty sermon I ever heard in my life. And I was sitting there thinking, I really messed up having this man come to this great church. He said, but when I gave the invitation, or he gave the invitation, and I stood there at the front, I was absolutely amazed. He said the aisles flooded, and we had more people get saved on that Sunday morning, any service we ever had in our church. And he said, after church, I took him to lunch, and I was taking him back to his motel. And right before we got to his motel, Hyman looked at me, and he said, uh, Son, I was watching you while I was preaching this morning. I could tell you thought that was the deadest, most boring, dusty old sermon you ever heard. He said, But, Son, did you see what happened? He said, Yes, sir. He said, You know why that happened? He said, no, sir, but I'd like to. And he said by then he was parking his car, and old Hyman leaned over, and he looked up that motel. He said, you see that room right up there on the corner on the fourth floor? Yes, sir. He said, that's my room. He said, the Bible says the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. He said, this morning at 430, I was on my knees in that room up there praying because I wasn't sure I could count on you. And Harold said, that taught me a great lesson. He said, coming out of that, I started spending as much time praying for the invitation of the next service I was going to preach in as I did about the sermon I was going to preach. Since I've learned that, when I preach a revival, I generally ask the pastor a few weeks in advance to identify three or four serious prayer warriors in his church. And ask them to commit 
to pray every day between now and the revival and through the revival, specifically for the invitation in every service of the revival. And I've got to tell you, since I've been doing that, I've seen more fruit, more souls saved, more decisions than way before I began doing that. I'd like to see a great revival happen here in September, wouldn't you? I believe tonight God has you people here for this reason. I want to ask you to partner with me. And I want to ask you every day between now and through the revival to spend specific time praying specifically for the invitation of the revival services we're going to have and ask for God's power to fall upon that time specifically. And you know what I believe? I believe we pray for that and pray that lost people get here. People say, Brother said, why don't lost people get saved like they used to? It's because we don't get lost people in pews. Now, I'm not a smart man, but I'll tell you something. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And can I tell you something? Your lost friends, family, and neighbors won't get saved sitting at home watching American Idol or the Braves play baseball. But if you get them here where people have prayed for the revival and the Word's being preached, I guarantee you some of them get saved. Does that make sense? So I'm asking you, to commit to that tonight now the rest of the church missed out on that blessing but if we have a great revival it's going to be contingent upon whether or not you and I are faithful in that effort so I'm asking you to join me in doing that well that's my first sermon now let me preach my other sermon Hebrews 10 23 through 25 says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Amen? And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. That's what I just did. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. This morning, oh, I love Jerusalem. It's one of my favorite songs. I wrote in my book after Barbara died that there are things that are going to happen in your life once you lose a spouse called landmines. It may be a smell, it may be a picture. It may be a card, but it's going to be something you don't expect it to happen. You're not looking for it, but you pick it up, you see it, and all those emotions of your loss will well up within you, and you'll have one of those times. It's been over six years now, eight years, back in 2010 she died, and it's not nearly as bad as it used to be, but every now and then, one hits me. And Jerusalem did because I had them sing that at her funeral. It was her favorite song. That was a tough time. 2009, 2010, 
we had had the privilege of going to Australia on a preaching tour, returned home from Australia. She was sick, couldn't get better after a couple of weeks, carried her to the hospital thinking she had pleurisy or pneumonia. And within a few hours' time, the doctor walked in and said, Miss Nichols, we can't explain it, but you've got a softball-sized tumor in your abdomen, and it's cancer, and we've got to operate immediately or you're not going to make it. They began to try to bring healing, and she lacked one week living a year. It was a terrible year. Painful, difficult year. Had my mama here. She lived with me. She too had cancer during that time. I was trying to take care of my wife, trying to take care of my mama, trying to do the work of the association, trying to hold my head up, be a strong example, but I'm telling you, it just wore me out. It was a season of those bad days I preached about this morning. I depended heavily on God. I couldn't have gotten through it without God. But I had a bad experience. I had to go to Walmart on a Wednesday afternoon, and I was so tired. I was so tired. I didn't, I didn't think I could walk in there. I had to get some medicine. and I went in there, I came out, and there was a deacon from one of our churches that was the greeter at that time. And he reached up and caught my shoulder, and he looked at me in the eye, and he said, Brother Sid, you're not the Sid Nichols I know. And I told him, I said, no, sir, I'm not. And I said, you know what I'm going through. I'm tired, I'm worn out. I'm in a tough season. Well, it was Wednesday. I was a member at Hillcrest, so I went to Hillcrest that night. And I sat there, and uh, just to be honest with you, for one of the few times in my life, I didn't want to be at church. I just didn't want to be there. You ever had that happen? You just didn't want to be there. I was tired. I was mostly drained. I was angry. I was hurt. You name it, it all built up on me. It manifested itself. And in my life at that time, I wanted to be anywhere doing something other than taking care of sick people and sitting in church. But something happened. Something happened that night, and I want you to listen to me because I think it's a great lesson. I know it was for me. I hope it is for you. God reminded me. He reminded me that that was exactly where I should be. There are some times, even though you don't understand it, you need to be in church. That's why he put that verse in there, not to forsake the opportunity to be with God's people in God's house. There's reasons for that. And you see, the Holy Spirit sat down on me, and he began to deal with me, and finally I just had to confess. I just had to openly say to my God, God, here's my problem. I'm just empty. I'm running on empty. And God reminded me that when I was a kid preacher, I, I preached about all kinds of things, but I had a little sermon I'd preach about God's filling station. 
That's kind of a picture of the church. Amen? We, we, we all have difficult days talking about this morning. We have difficult seasons. We get run down. We get empty like I was empty. Well, what do you do when that happens? You better look for a gas station. You better find someplace to fill up. And for the believer, the only place there is is the church. It's our filling station. It's where we go. How many times have you, like I, got there on a Wednesday night or maybe a Sunday night like this, and you just couldn't hardly go? You just don't know how you even got there, but by the time you left, you were a different person. That ever happened to you? At least two of you go like this. If you ain't going to say amen, let me know somebody's alive out there. It's happened to all of us. Church, being with God's people, being with God in His house, can refill your tank. He can energize you. And so, I don't remember. To this day, I couldn't tell you what Rick Reeves preached in that Wednesday night prayer service at Hillcrest. But I've got to tell you, I had a meeting with the Holy Spirit of God, and if you'll allow me for the next few minutes, I'm going to try to tell you what he told me in that church service like nobody else was there that changed my thinking and my life. And perhaps it would change yours. Here's what he did. I, I had a scrap of paper in my Bible, and I just felt led to do this. Holy Spirit said, write down the word empty, E-M-P-T-Y. And I started looking at that word, and the Holy Spirit says to me, he says, you know what the, word, the letter E stands for? And I said, uh, I'm not sure. Well, he said, let's think about your life for a moment. Now think about it. With all that you're going through, when you were saved, what kind of time limit did the Father put on your salvation? And I said, well, he didn't. It's eternal life. He said, there you go. E is for eternal life. That's exactly what E stands for. You see, though things get tough for a season, in the full scope of things, when you think about all of life, it won't be long. Hear me. It won't be long until you graduate up to heaven and there will be no more pain, no more doctors, no more suffering, no more dying, no more crying, no more worry. You know how I know that? God's Word tells me that. Revelation 21, verse 4, it's a help and a hope verse. If you don't have that verse marked in your Bible, mark it. It's one of the verses when I have a tough day, a bad day, a difficult time, a tough season. I go to, I read it, it says, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more weeping, there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more suffering, there'll be no more sickness. Wow! What a place heaven ought to be. It's going to be something special. And he says, you're mine, and you're mine eternally. Do you know what M stands for? What? It stands for miracle. I want to remind you, said Nichols, that I'm still in the miracle business. I've made blind people see, and deaf people hear, and lame people walk, and sick people well. Why, son? I've even made dead people live. You need to know that I'm still on the throne 
And my work is not finished with you and yours just as of yet. You need to know that I'm in control of this. I've got your back no matter how it goes. I've got you. Then the Holy Spirit says, you know what P stands for? What? Well, it stands for personal. And he reminded me, Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. And he reminded me that he's walking beside me through all this that I'm going through. And then he said, and by the way, when you get to where you think you can't go on, I'll pick you up and carry you. Wow. I watch these little old videos on Facebook sometimes of different amazing things that people have videoed, a piece of machinery or some special thing an animal can do. And I showed Pam one yesterday, a crippled man, a paralytic. He's paralyzed from the waist down in a wheelchair. He's a cowboy. And he had his old mule saddled up, and he was out there in his wheelchair holding the bridle of the mule, and all of a sudden he let the bridle down, and he rolled his wheelchair back around. He took his hat off and began to bump that old mule's front leg. And in a minute, that old mule bowed his knees, and he got down and laid down. And the man rolled his wheelchair around and backed up next to that mule, and he reached down, he took this dead leg and threw it over the mule on that side of the saddle, and he reached and caught. He drug himself up in the saddle. He rolled that wheelchair out there, and he reached down, and he put a stirrup on this foot and a stirrup on this foot, and he reached down and got the bridle, and he clicked the timer two and pulled, and that old mule got up and just took him for a fine ride. He got tired of riding him. He went up, and he clicked, and the old mule bowed down and got down again. And he reached out and got his wheelchair, and he got off and got in it. Well, I got to looking at that, and I thought, boy, that's a picture of my God. He sent Jesus down here, and Jesus lowered himself down so that I, when I couldn't do for myself, could get on his back, and he picked me up and carried me. What a picture. What a picture. He's our personal Lord and Savior. You need to know that I am, as I said this morning, God says, he, he reminds me, I'm the God of the mountain just like the God of the valley. I'm your strength when you're weak. I'm your hope when you're hopeless. I'm your fortress when you're barren. I'm your rock when things are crumbling down around you. I'm the peace when it's storming. I'm your healer when there is no other. You need to know I'm Almighty God and you are mine. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm your personal Lord. T. You ask me, do you know what T stands for? It stands for trust. He asked me a question. Sid, have I ever failed you? No, Lord. Then he says something special. I never will. I never will. Now, there have been many times in your own strength you would have failed, but you finally trusted me, and I've always come through for you, haven't I? Yes, sir, Lord. He said, put your eyes on me. Put your hand in my hand, and trust me. You need to know that Barbara and your mama are in my hands too.
I'm taking care of them. And then, why? You know what why stands for? It stands for you. It stands for you. I am here. I have the answer. I have the strength. It's up to you to draw upon all that I have and all that I have to offer. You need to know it's yours for the asking. The secret place. Now here's what I know about that lesson I got that night. I shudder to think where I might be today had I not been in church on the night I didn't want to be in church. I came empty, but I left full. Now, you know what full, F-U-L-L, stands for? It might not stand for anybody else, but I left there thinking it stood for faith upholds life's licks. No matter what life brings, faith can overcome it. Faithfulness, the Word of God, His promises, His authority. I heard the story about a federal drug agent who'd been aside the, the task of watching the Texas border for drugs that are coming over from Mexico. There was a rancher, had a, a ranch that bordered on the border, and this drug agent pulled up. An old rancher's out there working on a John Deere tractor. He walked out and said, Sir, he had a badge. He said, uh, I'm a federal agent. We need to check your ranch for drugs. And he said, well, son, that's fine. He said, but I'm telling you, don't go in that pasture right yonder. Just don't go in there. He said, sir, you see this badge? I've got authority to do anything I want to. I'll go anywhere I want to. You can't tell me I can't go in there. He said, okay, I'm just telling you, don't go in that pasture. Well, he turned around and started working on his tractor again. 35, 40 minutes, he heard somebody yell, Help! Help! Somebody help me! And he looked, and that drug agent's running as fast as he can across that pasture out there with a Santa Cruz bull right on his heels. Help! Somebody help me! That rancher ran up there, jumped on the fence, and said, Show him that badge! Show him your badge! <laughs> That's a funny way to tell you that there have been times in my life when the Holy Spirit said, Now, son, don't go in that place right there. Don't go to that place. And I'd say, I'm going to go anyhow. I'm going to go anyhow. And then I'd go over there, and I'd start yelling for help because the devil's on my heels, and the Holy Spirit jump up on the fence and hold my Bible up and say, Show him your back. Show him your badge. Being a faithful church member and believing your Bible and trusting your God can help you dodge a lot of problems. Now, there are three reasons I'm going to give you why you should go to church, and I'm through. The first one, number one, to be a better person. Good people. Generous people, godly people, generally go to church. Number two, to be a better spouse. Good marriages, godly marriages, are, are generally from couples who invest faithfully 
in church. And church folks, if they're worshiping God on a regular basis and they study their Bible and they pray together, generally never have any real problems. It's kind of like Pecos Bill. He was nearly full grown before he didn't know he was a wolf. If you run with wolves, you'll act like wolves. But if you stay around godly people and you fellowship with Christian people, you generally will be okay. And thirdly, to be a model parent, you need to be in church. Not send your kids to church. You need to be in church to be a model parent. Did you know that you influence your kids? I was in Talladega one day, and I was at a gas station pumping gas in my car. There was an antique pickup truck. It's like a 64 GMC. I can't believe a 64 GMC is an antique truck. I grew up, that's what I learned to drive in. But anyhow, it was, and I looked, and there was a daddy. had about a four-year-old boy standing in the seat next to him. He pulled in over there, and he parked that truck, and he got out and told his son, said, I'll be back in a minute. And I'm pumping my gas, and in a minute he came out with 24-pack of beer under his arm. And he got in that truck, and he set the beer over there. And I thought to myself, sir, what's going to happen when that boy's 17, 18, 19 years old. And some night, 2.30 in the morning, the state trooper knocks on your door and says, Sir, we're sorry to tell you, but your son's been in an accident and he's dead. He was drinking and driving. It's going to come back to you that when that boy was four years old, you stopped in that gas station and you went in there and you got that beer and you came out and put it in the truck. You were saying to him, It's okay. Right over there in my front yard is that big softball, baseball palace they got over there where they play all these tournaments and all of that stuff. And they're out there on Sunday and they're playing like crazy. And these mamas and daddies are saying, well, I got my son out there because I'm trying to get him a scholarship. Well, you ought to have him in a Sunday school class. We're going to tell you something. You might get him in college, but this is telling him he don't need to be in church. And you're going to wonder when he gets to be an adult and he's got your grandchildren and he don't care anything about Jesus, the church, or anything else. Why? And it's going to be because when he was a child, you told him it was more important to play baseball on Sunday than it was to be in God's house. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves. It's important, young men. Young ladies, mamas, daddies, grandmamas, granddaddies, it's important to be in church. I'm greatly concerned. I've been retired three years. Before I retired, there were a lot of Sunday nights. I'd go to five or six churches, and they, none of them be having services anymore. And I'm telling you, I don't know about you, but the world's getting a lot worse than it was when I was a kid. Sin's running rampant. And it seems like instead of us addressing it more with the church, we're trying to stop having services. The 
The Bible says in the end time there will be a falling away. We're watching it right before our eyes. But that doesn't mean it's not important for you and me to be in church with God's people under God's teaching. Does that make sense?